On Auschwitz. The history of Auschwitz is exceptionally complex. It combined two functions, a concentration camp and extermination center. Nazi Germany persecuted various groups of people there and the camp complex was continually expanded and transformed. In the podcast on Auschwitz, we discuss the details of the history of the camp, as well as our contemporary memory of this important and special place. At the end of July 1941, the camp commander, Lagerführer Karl Fritsch, selected 10 hostages from among the prisoners of Block 14 in retaliation for the escape of a prisoner. He condemned them to death by starvation in the bunker of Block 11. During the selection, a Polish prisoner who was a Franciscan monk and missionary, Maximilian Kolbe, camp number 16670, stepped out and asked the camp commander to take him instead of a desperate selected prisoner. Franciszek Gajowniczek, camp number 5659. After a brief dispute with Father Kolbe, Fritsch agreed to the substitution, especially when he found out that Kolbe is a Catholic priest. The ten selected prisoners were led off to the bunker of Block 11. Franciszek Gajowniczek survived the war and passed away in 1995. Maximilian Kolbe was murdered with a poisonous injection on August 14, 1941. He was canonized by the Pope John Paul II in October 1982. Teresa Wondorczyche from the Auschwitz Memorial Research Center talks about Father Maximilian Kolbe. What were the circumstances of the arrest of Father Maximilian Kolbe in 1941 before his deportation to Auschwitz? Father Kolbe, together with another four friars, uh, was arrested in February, 17th of February, 1941, and that was actually the second arrest. The very first was in the first weeks of the war, 19th September, 1939, when over 40 friars were arrested. They were taken for isolation. They were kept in three places, together with civilians, with Polish prisoners of war. The first place was in Lambsdorff, Wambinowice. The second place was Amtitz. And the last place was in Schildberg. On the 8th of December, uh, the same year, 1939, they were allowed to leave this isolation. So they returned to uh, Nipokalanów, to their monastery, and they started work, but in a little bit different style. They became more open for the local population, for the neighborhood. So the workshops they were having on the side of the monastery, like some mechanics, some milk production, and some repair of bicycles, they were available for the people from the villages around. And sometimes later, they were told to prepare a shelter for Poles who were to be resettled from the part which was incorporated into Nazi Germany. And they were to be moved for territory occupied by Germans. 2,000 people, men, women and children, were sent for the monastery. And together with this group, another group, 1,050 
Jewish people from the same region who were to be kept in the monastery for some period of time. Then they left and the monastery also was trying to continue their publishing work and one edition of the magazine they could release in uh, 1941. In the meantime, Father Kolbe, who was the responsible person for the monastery, also for the friars, for the seminar as well, was informed by different people that some reports are being sent for a Gestapo in Warsaw, which are very, very unfriendly for the friars, blaming them for different actions and they should expect some uh, visitors and maybe uh, even being called for uh, interrogation. Uh, they became basically more and more frequent. So when on the 17th of February 1941 the Gestapo came again to uh, Nipokalanov, they were not fully surprised, especially that only five of the friars were arrested the guardian, the responsible person, Father Kolbe, Father Bartosik, Father uh, Bajewski, uh, Nazim and uh, Cieślik. They were all taken for Warsaw, for Paviak prison, for uh, interrogation. Uh, the four mentioned, they were sent to Auschwitz on the 8th of April 1941. Father Kolbe was kept in the prison a little bit longer until actually the 27th of uh, May 1941. Could you tell about the deportation and uh, this early moments in the camp, the registration process and the beginning of his incarceration in Auschwitz? The transport sent to Auschwitz from Warsaw included 304 men. Most of them, they were Polish. Some of them were members of resistance movement. For example, one of them, Jakub Przegadiewicz, he was the messenger for the government in London, in exile. There was also Stanisław Dubois, the leader of the Socialist Party, who was in uh, Auschwitz before, but was sent for Warsaw for additional interrogation and then in this group was sent back to Auschwitz. Then there was also Adam Jastrzębski, who was the commander of the companion, which is accompanying the president. In this transport, there were also another clergy, altogether 12 of them, and eight were from Palotinian's order, located in Ołtarzew. Among them was Professor Franciszek Kilian, professor of biblical studies. There was also Józef Jankowski, who was beatified. He died in Auschwitz. All this group was brought to Auschwitz and they were to walk from the railway station to the camp. At the main gate, they heard the famous speech, the words, you came here to German concentration camp, if you don't like it, you may go on the wire, if there are some Jews among you, you may stay here two weeks, priest a month, the other two months. 
then they were taken for uh, registration. The transport was sent from Warsaw on the 27th of May in the evening. It took the train to reach Oświęcim actually the whole day. So the next day in the evening they were already in the camp, but the registration started on the 29th. So on the surviving documentation, we may see the date 29th of May. So they were given the numbers. Father Kolbe received the number 16,670. That time the prisoners were not tattooed. They were to remember the numbers. Uh, they were taken for uh, photography. Unfortunately, the photographs uh, from prisoners from these transports did not survive. And they were taken for the, for the beginning in the camp, which was the quarantine, so the isolation, which was in this time not very long because the prisoners were desperately needed for work, for building, for construction, for transportation. And this is also what happened to this group. The very first work Father Kolbe was sent in the camp was to transport uh, building material for the wall which was built by the crematorium which was here in Auschwitz uh, I. A few days later, during the roll call, they heard uh, words by uh, one of the assessments, Alle Pfaffen raus, all the clergy forward. And they were taken for another unit, which was called Babitz Commando, so a group of prisoners who worked in the village neighboring the town. And in this village they were to build a fence around the field, which was to be another place for the farm, the farm which belonged to the camp administration. Just in this place, Father Kolbe stayed for several days until he was uh, beaten. He was badly beaten by Capo Hans Krot. This um, event was described by Tadeusz Pietrzykowski, who was also sent for some duties for this area. Tadeusz Pietrzykowski was uh, deported to Auschwitz in the very first transport. His camp number was 77. He was from Warsaw. And before the war, he was a boxer. He was well-known champion in his category with a great athletic and sport preparation. And somehow in the camp, the administration allowed people who were tied to professional sport to start different events. And boxing was one of the disciplines which was in favor Box at that time was very popular discipline and also was liked by, by many functionary prisoners because they were those who initiated this fight. And this is why Tadeusz Pietrzykowski was known in the camp as the boxer and as the boxer who was winning. When he was in Babice, in this place where the prisoners were working, he noticed the scene where one of the functionary prisoners was was hitting in a very brutal way another prisoner wearing the glasses. And this scene moved him, so he approached the functionary and said, okay, you are so into fighting, so maybe we can train a little bit. The functionary knew Pietrzykowski 
the SS guards allowed them to fight a little bit for fun during the break and the fight started. So they exchanged a few punches and uh, Pietrzykowski was, uh, was winning, was, was leading in this fight and suddenly he felt that someone is, is grabbing his hand. He looked and he noticed just the prisoner who was beaten before and he was saying to him, son, do not fight, do not hit. So he, he was in the mood of fighting, so he ignored this man and continued what he was to do next, which punch, right or left. So another exchange happened and again he felt that someone is grabbing his hand and it's the same prisoner asking him, son, do not, do not fight. This time Pietrzykowski stopped and told this, this man, it's better that they will punch you, this is what you want. He was a little bit angry with the prisoner. The break was over, there was a whistle, so they have to return to work and they returned to the camp. The prisoner who was beaten was Father Kolben. Uh, his condition was very bad, so he was brought by the other prisoners and actually he was unable to work. So for the following days he was trying to be accepted for the hospital, what was not that easy, but eventually he uh, was admitted for them, for the hospital. His staying lasted for several weeks. Uh, within this time he was taken for few x-rays. We know that he was suffering from tuberculosis. He contracted this terrible disease in Italy, in Rome, during his study. And then after he returned to Poland, because of his condition, collapsing condition, he was sent for few spas, mainly for Zakopane, for the recovery. But it, that was a constant trouble in his life. He was even, as the biographists are saying, a person with one lung. So this is why his breathing and fact that he was contracting infections so frequently was very clear because of this uh, disease. So each x-ray here in the camp was about the lungs. And only on one we do have information what happened and it is written that he had a bad uh, lung uh, infections. You mentioned two things. You mentioned the speech that welcomed the prisoner and the functionary said priests can only stay here for two weeks. And then you mentioned the scene where the clergy were moved to other commando um, as a group. Were clergy treated differently in the camp? What was the approach of the SS administration in this early stage of the camp's functioning towards priests, towards the clergymen? The three groups mentioned in the speech, the Jews, the clergy, and the other prisoners, they were heard by the prisoners, but of course at the beginning uh, it was not clear if this kind of separation is to, be, uh, is to be done. But later on they realized that actually it's not an incident that this kind of segregation was made. The very first penal company, so the unit which was sent for the worst work, was established here in Auschwitz 
in autumn 1940, so the first months of the camp existence, and the prisoners heard alle Juden and Pfaffen raus, so all the Jews and the priests and the clergy out. And just this group made the very beginning of the penal company. Then also other prisoners were sent for penal company for different, as it was called, crime or just not following the camp uh, regulation. So they were sent for very hard work. The supervisors were very cruel, well-known Krankenmann. And at the beginning, during the registration, when uh, they were told about the profession and they were saying that they are clergy, they could expect that they are being to send for, for very bad work and very bad treatment. Also, different type of mockery by the SS guards was very frequent as the priests were to say some prayers in a, a very humiliating way, like standing on the on the barrels with the excrement. There were some attempts to take the priests from concentration camps, as Auschwitz was not the only camp where the clergy were sent. They were also in the camps in Germany. In December 1914, the Vatican diplomats managed to get some compromise with the Third Reich to send all the priests for Dachau, which was to be kind of a concentration place for the clergy from all the camps. So from Auschwitz, free transports were sent, the first in December 1940, the second in May 1941, and the last in June 1942. But it doesn't mean that there were no priests or clergy, monks, uh, friars in the camp at all, they were still uh, deported and the transports were only gathering those who were in this particular time in the camp. So their treatment was uh, always very bad, very brutal. Did Father Kolbe manage to recover in the infirmary after he had been beaten by, by a capo? Staying in the camp hospital helped Father Kolbe. His condition improved, however, he was still having fever. So this is why he was not sent for work. At the end of July 1941, uh, there was a commission in the camp, commission of German doctors. The leader of this commission was uh, Horst Schumann. He was the chief of the euthanasia center in Germany, in Sonnenstein. And officially, the prisoners were told that this commission is to select the sick, weak prisoners, not expected fast recovery, and they are to be sent for Germany for recovery. Before this, many of the prisoners were taken for the X-rays. Probably that was one element of the material the commission was, was trying to gather. And the prisoners who were in the hospital, they were functionaries, they were cleaning, they were also a nurse. They had some suspicions that there is something wrong going on. This commission is very strange, not really clear are their aims. So this is why some prisoners were released from the hospital. They were not fully healthy and ready for work, but 
the intention was to protect them. That was mentioned in many testimonies of the survivors, that especially Polish intellectuals, leaders, people known, people respected, as long as the other Polish prisoners could protect them from the brutality, from the camp life, they were being placed in the units which were, for example, under the roof, like the kitchen, the storages, where the chances to survive were a little bit higher than in the other places. And the same happened in this situation. Knowing that this German medical commission is kind of surprising the camp, Father Kolbe was released from the hospital and he was sent for the work in the, in the kitchen, peeling the vegetables, also repairing the uniforms. This is how he started to be in block number 13 at that time, now it's block number 19, uh, where one day a prisoner was missing, the number was not correct. And at that time in the camp they were practicing collective responsibility. It means that if one prisoner was trying to escape from the same work unit or from the same building, another 10 randomly chosen prisoners were to die. And for three occasions before, that was uh, the starvation cell, hunger cell. The idea was that the prisoners were locked in the cell for at least two weeks, not provided food, water, and within this time they were supposed to die. And this is also what happened after the prisoner from this block uh, escaped. The hunting lasted for a few days and finally all the prisoners were to be present outside and the camp leader, Karl Fritsch, started the selection. Ten prisoners were appointed and one of them, facing death, started to cry, started to ask for life, saying that he's the father, he's having family, he's having children. He, he wants to be back home and this cry was heard by the other prisoners and suddenly from the group which was not chosen prisoners, another stood forward and asked the SS soldiers to exchange with the prisoner who is uh, crying for life. And to the great surprise of all the prisoners present in this situation, uh, he was allowed to exchange with the one who was chosen. So Father Kolbe, he was the one who uh, gave his life, uh, joined the nine prisoners and they were all taken for block number 11. At that time, the block was having different number, number 13. And they stayed in this cell for two weeks. Within this time, the cell was checked frequently and the corpses of those who died were transported for crematorium. Then finally, on the 14th of August, they uh, declared a so-called clearing the bunker, so to empty all the cells and check this starvation cell. They went down and they realized that few of the prisoners, they are still alive. They were uh, not conscious, but they could feel the pulse. So they called the functionary prisoner from the camp hospital with the lethal injection, 
phenol injection uh, and this is how they were uh, killed. Among these prisoners were also Father Kolbe. So he died in the cell as the result of the injection. Reaction of the SS, as you mentioned, was surprising that they allowed this exchange of one prisoner volunteered to, to go instead another one. What was the behavior of the SS during this particular roll call? Do we have any documents, testimonies about uh, what was happening? The commandant Rudolf Hüss was not present in the camp. He was on the duty trip. And actually, in the situation when the number of the prisoners was not correct, the camp leader, Karl Fritsch, he could wait with the decision to have the commandant who was just the one responsible for the camp. But there was kind of competition among the SS and most probably Karl Fritsch wanted to, to show his power in the camp. So this is why they didn't wait too long for the results, for the answers, for any information if in the towns around Gestapo found someone who was, uh, who was trying to escape. They were in a kind of rush. And during the selection, the two um, SS, Karl Fritsch and Rapport Führer, so the assessment responsible for the number, that was Gerhard Palic, they again behave in a very official way, just pointing the prisoners very quickly. When the situation happened that someone is walking in front, someone is trying kind of contradict with their decision, actually the reaction again could be different. Some of the survivors are saying that doing so, Father Kolbe could face execution in this very place because what he did was kind of breaking the regulation. It was a certain rhythm, a certain form of this selection and everybody who was pointed was to accept this decision. So to going uh, in front and also the fact that he was directing the few words to the SS was not really in the camp uh, regulation. Officially he should first address the words to the functionary prisoner and then the functionary prisoner should contact the SS. He broke this line. He was talking directly for the SS. So that was another thing which really surprised um, the prisoners who were present at this uh, roll call. So we may notice that the whole circumstances, even among the SS, were a little bit in a rush. They wanted to make the things faster, but it was because of their own ambition because of their own position in the camp and, and basically showing the power over the prisoners. We know some details of the event. We have names of the three men involved, Father Kolbe, Franciszek Gajowniczek, who asked for mercy and who was released back from the starvation execution back to the camp, and Karl Fritsch, the camp manager. But there are still many unknown. Uh, we do not exactly know who, in fact, escaped and was the reason for the SS retaliation. There are many information about this event, mainly from the testimonies of the, of the survivors. 
but the documentation is missing a lot. Well, it doesn't mean that it was not written down. Most probably it was in several files, but the camp documentation is destroyed in such a, a number, 90, 95% almost is destroyed. So this is why we do have, in fact, very little. In this event, there are really loads of question marks. The first is who was trying to escape? Some researchers who were approaching this story were trying to match just the, the surviving information, some of the dates which were around this event, to give a name. But we have to say that it's not 100% information, it's still a suspicion. So we have to admit that we don't really know who was the one who was trying to escape. Then the date of this uh, roll call. We know that was the end of the month, but again, it's not clear information which day was that. Then another thing was the name, are the names of the, the nine prisoners who were chosen this day. Uh, there is a documentation which is called a Bunker List book which is holding all the names of the prisoners who were sent for the cells in the basement of block number 11. But somehow these names were not written down in this book. Most probably it's again the result of the rush. There are just this several question marks. The date which we have is coming from the death certificate which was issued in the administration here with the date of death and we may read that Father Kolbe died on the 14th of August 1941. Having this date and the testimonies that they were staying around two weeks in the basement, more or less the, uh, the date is being uh, given. But again, it's better to say that was at the end of the, of the month. Uh, because we don't have any other information to prove that it was exactly this particular time. Father Maximilian Kolbe was incarcerated in Auschwitz for 11 weeks. Are there any testimonies about his uh, life in the camp? You mentioned the one event with Tadeusz Pietrzykowski and this incident in the Babitz Commando. Were there any more memorable moments that uh, survivors remembered him despite the very short stay in the camp? In the collection of testimonies uh, we find quite a few actually descriptions of these meetings with Father Kolbe. Some of them were coming from the religious, let's say, motivations. For example, Władysław Lewkowicz uh, brought to the camp in autumn 1914, student from Warsaw, was in a very bad uh, mental state because of the brutality in the camp. And he was looking for support, he was looking for occasion for conversation. He was looking for confession, in fact. And one day uh, the fellow prisoner suggested him that there is a, a monk here and he's talking to different people, so maybe he will have an occasion to talk to him. And of course, secretly in the evening, 
in the break before the evening meal and the final bell for the camp prisoners. They were having just this few minutes to have a short walk and within this time Władysław Lewkowicz did have his confession which was for him really important and great support. Another prisoner who also met Father Kolbe because of the same motivation was Wilhelm Żelazny, brought here from Silesia. And his beginning in the camp was really good. He became functionary prisoner. His position was really safe. And one day he was punished for not doing his duties uh, the way he was expected. He again uh, was in, in the panic that he may be even murdered as he witnessed so many cases of, of the brutal torture of the prisoners. And he became uh, more and more depressed. And another prisoner noticed that he, from a very cheerful, optimistic man, uh, was turning into someone who is not too eager to talk to anybody. So advice him, maybe you can talk to someone who can just support you a little bit. And again pointed him Father Kolbe, who was around these prisoners. And Father Kolbe gave Wilhelm Żelazny rosary, something what he brought through Paviak, through the interrogation, and then also he managed to hide during the admission in the camp. The rosary was damaged a little bit, but still could be used for praying. And Wilhelm Żelazny took this rosary and he started to pray. Uh, when he was better and he wanted to return to the owner, he was told that Father Kolbe uh, died. So he kept this rosary with him through the, his whole staying in the camp. He also uh, managed to keep it uh, during the evacuation. And after the war, he came here to the town and he gave this rosary to the uh, local parish where the rosary is kept as a very special as a very special relic another form of meeting is remembered by Mieczysław Kościelniak an artist painter he was in a group of prisoners who were having again very informal meeting and one of the person who was speaking during this meeting was, was someone he didn't know, but he was really moved with the way he was talking about the way how to survive the camp, how to try the best to save energy, power, even health, to stay as long as possible. Then he returned to the religious elements of the way to survive, to pray, to believe. And these words were striking him. He was really moved. And uh, also he was moved with his contact with especially young prisoners who were taking especially the brutal brutality in the camp in a very bad way. Uh, mentioned before Tadeusz Pietrzykowski, also had another two meetings with Father Kolbe. After he returned to the camp from this informal fight in Babitz, fellow prisoner asked him, did you know who was the one you saved? 
And Tadeusz Pietrzykowski honestly said that he had no idea. So he said, that's the very famous Franciscan, one who was in Japan and his publisher. Maybe you want to talk to him. And Pietrzykowski said that he, he wants this meeting. So when they met, Father Kolbe again referred to violence, to being part of any type of beating in the camp, that they should not do this, that they should save the energy, that they should look for another ways to fight with the uh, camp life, with, with the brutality. Pietrzykowski was not happy at all with these words. He was the person who was fighting, punching successfully the functionaries and, and the other prisoners. Father Kolbe noticed that he doesn't like his words, so he switched the conversation into uh, memories from Japan. He said, when I was in Japan, they are having different ways of fighting. And they started to talk about, about Japan, which for uh, Pietrzykowski this moment was uh, very interesting. Then another occasion for meeting was bread, which Pietrzykowski managed to save and decided to give to Father Kolbe. So he brought him the portion of bread, but then he learned that another prisoner stole this bread from him. So he was just to approach the thief and Father Kolbe again stopped him saying, maybe he was more hungry than I am, so let him go. Pietrzykowski knowing Father Kolbe's attitude to violence, to any type of force, he just stepped back. How did the news about the death of Father Kolbe reach his, on one hand, family and the monastery? The Franciscans learned about the death of their guardian from the letter of Father Bartosik. He was still in the camp and he wrote a letter and in a very special way, the prisoners learned, he informed the friars about the death. Of course, he could not write directly that he was murdered, but in a kind of code, he sent this information. Then the friars sent a message for the family. His, uh, the mother of Father Kolbe, Marianna Kolbe, uh, was at that time living in Krakow. She received a letter from her son at the end of June 1941. And Father Kolbe informed his mother that he is in the camp. And he is not expecting correspondence because he uh, is not sure how long he is going to stay in the camp. So learning from the friars about the death, she was really in a great sorrow. So she informed Franciszek Kolbe, the elder brother, who was at that time in Zduńska Wola. Franciszek Kolbe was a member of resistance movement. Two years after death of his brother, he was arrested and he was also deported to Auschwitz camp. In his case, camp photograph did survive. A year later, in 1944, he was sent for another camp in Germany, for Buchenwald, from this camp to Dora Mittelbaum, and in January 1945, he died in uh, Mittelbaum. So the two Kolbe brothers died in concentration camps. Maximilian died in Auschwitz and his elder brother Franciszek died in uh, Mittelbaum.
the last person we should also talk about is the man who was saved by Father Kolbe, and it was Franciszek Gajowniczek. What happened to him? Franciszek Gajowniczek, the one who was begging for mercy and who was saved by Father Kolben, survived the camp. From Auschwitz, he was sent to Sachsenhausen and then was uh, liberated there. He was a soldier of Polish army. He was fighting during the campaign in September 1939, then arrested and sent for Auschwitz in the first months of the camp uh, existence. In the testimony, he admitted that he didn't heard about Father Kolbe before his deportation to Auschwitz. And also in the camp, when he was told by the other prisoners who Father Kolbe was, again, that was for him something what he, what he learned. He didn't have an occasion to talk to Father Kolbe in the camp or to be around. As I mentioned, he got some, some circles, some people who were approaching him from time to time and they were having some conversations. So he was not among these people. He learned much more after the war. During the famous roll call, when he was uh, begging for mercy, he was talking about his children. So he was the father of two boys, Bogdan and Janusz. They were both teenagers. Uh, one of the sons, the elder, he was fighting during the Warsaw Uprising in 1944. And then in January 1945, they were both in uh, Rawa Mazowiecka. That time the Red Army was approaching this town and there was some artillery action in some parts of the town. And unfortunately, two of them were around the territory when the artillery was attacking and they both died. Uh, the mother, who was in, in a different place, came to look for the sons and she found the, the bodies of her two sons among uh, all the victims of this action. So when Franciszek Gajowniczek returned home, he found only his wife. They moved for uh, Brzeg, a city in Silesia region, and they lived there for another several decades. Within this time, uh, Franciszek Gajowniczek started to be more active as a survivor of concentration camp and also as a person who was saved by this uh, very exceptional friar, uh, monk. So he was present during the ceremony in Vatican in 1971 when Father Kolbe was beatified and also later on when Father Kolbe was canonized and was declared a saint martyr, he was also as a witness as the person who uh, survived during this ceremony. And then for many occasions he was invited by the Franciscans and also by many other institutions and people to bear witness, to talk about his experiences as the survivors and also about this exceptional person he happened to be saved by. All episodes of the On Auschwitz podcast are available at auschwitz.org slash podcasts.
We kindly ask you to support our mission and share our podcast in social media.